everybody. I hope you're doing well today. You're about to hear a sermon at Laurentian Wesleyan Church in North Bay, Ontario, Canada. Whether you attend our church or are listening for the first time, we sincerely pray this recording is of help to you. And don't forget, it's always better live. Join us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Thanks again for listening. I'm not going to, I'm going to be referring to the scriptures, but what I would invite you to do is to check me out. And so you can go to Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 25, and as you look at it, you say, oh yeah, I've heard sermons on this before. Uh, but uh, I'll be reading some of the scripture as we're, as we're going through. But I'd like to begin with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for your faithfulness, for your mercy, for your love, for your grace. And I pray that uh, you will take the words that have been prepared, but you will use them beyond what can be understood or comprehended, and beyond even, as Paul writes in Ephesians, beyond our imagination. Because you take words and you burn them into hearts, and so we ask that you do that this morning through your Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, the DBMD, and that stands for District Board of Ministerial Development, and that's for people who are interested in becoming uh, either ordained or commissioned pastors in the Wesleyan Church. This DBMD board was meeting at Sunnyside Wesleyan Church, and during the meeting, a deep, loud rumbling accompanied by vibrations occurred. I actually thought uh, that the gas line had broken and it was exploding. And everyone on the committee looked at one another. Very little was said, but our minds were racing. <laughs> what is going on? And without any urging, we left where we were and we headed outside. <laughs> uh, we didn't know what was happening but we knew that we didn't want to be in a building that was making those kinds of noises. Hearts pounding. We looked around when we got outside, and we saw other people had exited their buildings as well. And by then, the rumbling sound had stopped, and we realized we had experienced an earthquake. So I listened to the radio said, yes, you've listened to it. <laughs> it was about a 5.4 or something on the rector scale, uh, uh, originating up in Quebec. But it was, it was a, a scary moment uh, in our lives. Anxiety is not far away when the ground under our feet begins to shake. Fears quickly invade. Physical earthquakes are scary. Cultural earthquakes are also disturbing. For many years, our culture has been shifting from a Judeo-Christian value system to the values of a secular society. And what that means is they have shifted from a religious to a non-religious perspective. And the shift in value systems is picking up. The snowball is getting bigger and bigger. And what our culture once considered fundamental and valuable 
and defining has been toppled. And as people of faith, we look at one another with fear in our eyes and we ask, what's going on? And we'd like to turn the clock back, right? Let's go back to where these values were were considered worthy and people respected them. But we no longer have the political power to do so. Every time we have a political battle over something, we tend to lose. And uh, the culture change leaves us feeling uncertain about the future and not sure about next steps. And the tendency is to withdraw or to strike out in anger against those who are advocating change. As we think of the shift that's taking place, I'm reminded of the electronic signs that I see along 401. And there are several signs, but all with the same message. One says, it's not summer. Drive to conditions. I think that sign has a bit of sarcasm in it. It's not summer. Drive to conditions. Or another one says, and it's friendly, welcome to winter. And then there's another one, it's winter, drive to conditions. Culturally, a shift has taken place, and the values of the Christian faith are no longer shared by a majority of people. We could say, it's not summer, or welcome to winter. What does drive to conditions mean for the Christian faith in a secular society? What I'd like to suggest is that to drive to conditions for the Christian faith begins with understanding the true center of who we are as followers of Christ. To get at the center of the Christian faith, I want to point you to three imperatives and one connecting word. And two of the imperatives are found in Luke 10.25. These imperatives are repeated in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, and they're quotes from the Old Testament. And Jesus, Jesus said these two imperatives to sum up the law and the prophets. Or put another way, do you want to understand what the law and prophets are all about? Do you want to understand how Jesus would sum up what it means for us to live out God's desire for our lives? To do so would be to incorporate these two imperatives. The two imperatives flow out of a conversation between an expert in the law and Jesus. And the expert in the law, he came to test Jesus. And he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he was looking for Jesus to make a mistake, to slip up, to somehow fail to answer that question the way that traditionally it had been answered and then he would use this as a way to show, oh, Jesus is not as smart as we thought. So he wanted to test him. And Jesus, in this uh, passage, didn't answer the question. Instead, he asked the expert. He said, what's written in the law? He asked, how do you read it? Or to paraphrase the question, Jesus said, tell me your understanding of what is needed to inherit eternal life. And the, squ the scribe quoted from the Old Testament, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
To love God with all of our heart and all our soul and all of our strength and all of our mind is to love him completely. It is to structure our life around him. And to structure our life around him means that he's at the center of who we are. When we prioritize our life and plan our days, the call is to have God at the center. And to do so is to find solid ground when everything else is unstable. To love God is our response to God's love for us. In the Old Testament, the command to love God is within the context of the people of Israel about to enter into the promised land. And the land is so rich in resources, they call it a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. And they've been looking for this land in over 40 years, (laughs) wandering in the desert. And they're finally ready to, to go. And God says, I want you to love me. Uh, because I have brought you out of Egypt, and I am giving you this land that's flowing with milk and honey. The New Testament, and it's a land that he'd promised to Abraham, and now it's being fulfilled. And the New Testament is also a story of our deliverance. In love, God sent Jesus to deliver us from death and to give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus came so we could experience a life that's full and abundant, and free. And he sent Jesus because, why? Because you and I are valuable in God's sight. We are worthwhile. And he said, I want to do something to redeem these people that I have created. For you and I, To recognize how much we are loved is to say with all of our heart and with all of our soul, with all of our strength and mind, I love you too. I love you as well. Thank you, Father, for that love that you have shown to me. It is to turn our face towards him and to hold out our arms and embrace the one who loves us beyond what we can understand or comprehend. I played with the idea of having you stand and hold out your arms and say, thank you, Father, for loving me the way that you have loved me. We have to get that deep into our heart and our soul. We are so worthwhile. We are so loved that God was willing to send his son, Jesus Christ, for us. The second imperative flows out of the imperative to love God. We are to love our neighbor as ourself. And that's to recognize that God not only loves me, but he loves the person next to me. He loves you. He loves the person who lives next door. Or the child from whom sometimes I want to protect my grandchildren. Or the person who comes to the car asking for money as we sit at a stoplight. 
He loves that person just as much as he loves you and I. Stop and think about it for a moment. The people that we may find easy to judge or condemn or criticize, God loves. And he loves them so much that he sent Jesus into the world so they could experience life. The people who are leading the cultural shift, you know, those bad people, God loves them. He wants them to experience eternal life. He wants them to experience the life that they're looking for, but sometimes they're looking for in the wrong places. And so Jesus said to the scribe, you are correct. And you can see the scribe maybe saying, hmm. And then Jesus says, now go and do it. Ah. And it's really interesting. At that point, the scribe's feeling uncomfortable. Remember, his intention was to test Jesus. But he finds himself under the gun. And he feels like he's the one who's being tested. And he's not comfortable in that reversal of roles. And so he asks Jesus another question, and the Bible tells us, in order to justify himself, who is my neighbor? I have a feeling that we still ask that question in order to justify ourselves. That person's really not my neighbor. (laughs) If we can put kind of a barrier between them and us, we don't have to, maybe we don't have to love so many people, huh? And Jesus responds with a story. There was a man who was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's robbed and stripped of his clothes and battered, and he lay half dead along the side of the road, and both the priest and the Levite came by at separate times, and instead of helping him, they avoided him. They crossed over to the other side. Who were the people who refused to help? And they were the respected religious leaders. People like the scribes. The very people who played a key role through their religious roles of reinforcing the importance of the law. And Jesus says, they walked by. They ignored this person who was in need. We don't know why they stopped or didn't stop, I mean. But they did. And he continues. And his next statement is shocking to his listeners. And it could be that everyone who's listening at that point in time became extremely silent. They said, what? What? Because he says, a Samaritan. A Samaritan. And those who are there are saying, a Samaritan? What are you talking about? The ones that the Jews avoided. And in fact, Samaritans avoided Jews. There was no love lost between this two group of people. And he says, a Samaritan. The crowd may have mentioned, why why are you mentioning a Samaritan? Because in a sense, neighbor was defined 
nationally and ethnically. And Jesus is forcing them to think outside those boundaries that they had put up in terms of who they should look after and who they should love. And the Samaritan idea of this story crossed those boundaries. And uh, he said, when a Samaritan saw a man in need, his priorities changed. He interrupted his life and he used his resources to help a person in a desperate situation. Jesus, in a sense, was really messing with the scribe and his listeners. Uh, The good people passed by, and the bad person didn't. That's really a summary. The good person passed by, and the bad person didn't. He was intentionally forcing uh, or expanding their idea of neighbor beyond what they thought of. This was revolutionary thinking. So when Jesus asked the scribe, and again, I love this, he didn't let the scribe go away. He says to the scribe, okay, tell me, Mr. Scribe, you've heard the story. Who do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of a robber? Put yourself in the scribe's position. (laughs) He's being asked to identify a Samaritan as a good neighbor in front of all these people. Notice how the scribe answers. He says, well, I suppose, he didn't say that, but I'm thinking, he's thinking it. I suppose the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus replied, was short and to the point, go and do likewise. The story illustrates what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. If we're lying along the side of the road, immobilized by violence, what would we like someone to do for us? Have mercy. We'd like someone to interrupt his or her busy life and help us. We would want someone to show us mercy, to show love, to show mercy to our neighbor, who is also the person living beside us, is to take the love that we have received from God and show God's love to our neighbor. As a sign that we love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all our strength and with all our mind, to love God that way is to be willing to interrupt our lives and our schedule and use our resources to help our neighbor. Ask yourself about the people who live around you who are struggling or going through a difficult time. Are there some people that I should be connecting with as a person who's been loved by God? I I was delighted to hear the story from Uh, from Bill about the marketplace and how uh, a person beside them in the market stall was losing their 17-year-old daughter to cancer and how they're willing to take the risk uh, and give him a letter from our father. Is that what it's called? A letter from our father. And how this person read it, and then he read it to his daughter in her dying moments. 
that's that's reaching out that's taking a risk that's loving your neighbor when you see them hurting we come to the third imperative and it comes from Matthew 28 and it's knowing it's known as the great commission it's Matthew 28 18 and 20 and then Jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age love and obedience to his heavenly father led Jesus to the cross he went there because he loved his father and because he loved you and I he went to the cross because of love and through his death and then his resurrection we can come to the father and through the work of the Holy Spirit we can experience forgiveness and new life in him and we praise him. And Jesus says, when he's about to depart from his disciples, he says, I want you to continue this work. I want you under my authority, authority in heaven and earth, to go and make disciples. Our call as disciples of Jesus is to so love our neighbor that we will enter into conversations and we will be prepared to share our story, our story of God's intervention in our life and our story of the experience of forgiveness and the new life that only God can give us. And why will we do so? Out of love for the one who has loved us and love for the people that he loves and wants them to experience the same new life that we have. So there's three imperatives. Love God, love our neighbor, and go to our neighbor with the good news of Jesus. And what is the connecting word? I don't even have to tell you, probably. What's the connecting word? Let's all say it together. Love. Once more, love. That's the connecting word. After we, you know, get out of sorts and all upset and all these other things, we need to recognize we are about loving God and loving our neighbor. And that has practical implications. It's not just some thing up in the sky. It is to be worked out on a regular basis. So, how does this inform us as we experience a shifting culture that is reshaping our Western world? We can yell out in fear and anger against the changes. We can condemn those who are instrumental in advocating for change. We can judge those whose lives reflect different values than what we hold sacred. 
We may choose to do that. But to do so is to forget that at the heart of the Christian faith is the truth that God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus said, by the way, and I love this verse, he said, I didn't come to condemn the world. He said, I left that for the church to do. No. <laughs> he said, I did not come to condemn the world. The world is already condemned. I came to save it. And he's called us as a church to do the same thing. So let me tell you the end of the earthquake story at Sunnyside. While we who were at the table ran outside in fear and panic, one person did not. In fact, we were so fearful we didn't even notice it. One person ran up the stairs to the nursery. She ran upstairs because her child was up in the nursery. Maybe the building was about to blow up. Maybe the building was about to topple. But love compelled her to face the danger and to rescue her child. Love compelled the Samaritan to help the desperate man. Love compelled Jesus to go to the cross so that you and I could experience life. Paul talks about being compelled by love. And love compels us to reach out to others. Love compels us to make time in our schedule to show mercy to those who are hurting. Are you willing, through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, to allow your love for God and others to be a major motivating factor of how you live. A place to look is at your schedule. Ask yourself, what role has love for God and love for neighbor played in shaping how I am living out my life on a daily basis? Because, you know, really, it's about time, isn't it? It's about usage of time. It's about uses of resources. And how does this thing that I testify to, loving God and loving neighbor, we all agree to it, right? Who's going to argue with Jesus? How is it shaping our schedule? How is it affecting the way we use our resources? How much space is there in our life for others? Have you created space to allow time to connect with God? What disciplines are you exercising to stay in step with the Holy Spirit? What disciplines do you know that you need to exercise but have allowed busyness to crowd them out? Are you willing to make a change? Where you see love as you evaluate shaping your activities, rejoice. Amen. Because there are times when love does shape our activities. And that's fantastic. And we give thanks and we rejoice. 
But where you see a need to make a change, then allow that change to take place. If changes are needed, consider meeting with a friend. Share what God is showing you. Pray together. Allow yourself to be accountable to someone else for the adjustments that you see are important. God could use power to force conformity to his will. He could zap all those who are shaking the foundation of the Judeo-Christian tradition. But instead, he chose love. And he invites us to join him in love and go and make a difference within our sphere of influence. He calls us to position love as the main motivating factor in our life. So the question is, are you willing through the Holy Spirit at work within you to take on the challenge of loving God and loving your neighbor? Thanks so much for listening today. It's our prayer that you would discover the love, joy, and purpose found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We would love to hear from you, or better yet, why not visit us? You can find out more about our church at our website, LaurentianChurch.com. Laurentian Wesleyan Church, following Christ, growing together.